Welcome to Macquarie Street, the national political podcast coming to you from the crucible of Australian democracy. Here's your host, Lyle Shelton. Well, Happy New Year. Welcome back to the Macquarie Street Political Podcast for 2023. I'm Lyle Shelton, the National Director of the Family First Party. It's great to have your company. I want to get through a lot today, including the sad passing of two great Australians, Senator Jim Molan and Cardinal George Pell. I'll also bring you my interview with Family First candidate for the upcoming Narakan by-election in Victoria. Brendan Clark is an unassuming Australian who has courageously put up his hand because he cares about the drift of politics away from supporting families. So please stick around. But first, this podcast is returning after things got a little busy for me towards the end of last year. You might be aware that I spent uh, several months in Victoria working with an amazing team of volunteers on Family First campaign at the Victorian election. It was tough but rewarding work. We had to get the party registered, which meant recruiting members in a mad rush to meet the deadline. Thanks to Lee Jones and Alistair Cameron working full-time on the campaign as volunteers and as candidates, a campaign was rolled out statewide at breakneck speed. A total of 104 candidates stood and they were supported by more than 400 volunteers and hundreds of donors who chipped in from all over the nation. With both Liberal and Labor pursuing some of the most anti-family policies we've ever seen, such as the jailing of parents who dare to have a conversation with their child about gender, people everywhere could see the need and wanted to help. Our whole aim was to get principled people elected to the Victorian Upper House, people who would not compromise like the major parties do. Now we fell short, but only narrowly, in three Upper House regions, despite achieving the highest statewide vote of any minor party, 3.1%. The work of our volunteers and supporters from right around the nation who got behind the Victorian campaign has put the party back on the political map. Thanks to you, we're here to stay. If you are one of those who volunteers, donated or prayed, thank you. Family First was only rebirthed last year and from a standing start has achieved credible results in South Australia and again in Victoria. I'm excited about the future of the party and where this movement is going. It's desperately needed because the modern Liberals, Labor, the Greens and the Teals have all abandoned the idea that your family values should be promoted in public policy. So where to from here? Well, the New South Wales election is coming up on March 25. I recorded this video outside Parliament House in Macquarie Street with a special announcement. Today I'm announcing that I will run as an independent for the New South Wales Legislative Council at the upcoming March 25 state election. Families need a voice who will fight for them, for freedom, for their faith, for affordable and reliable electricity, for life, for our most vulnerable, and for a return to teaching the basics in schools. We just need to let girls be girls and boys be boys. The question for voters at this election is who will protect your family from the threat of radical political correctness? Misguided energy policy is making living unaffordable and radical social policy is harming children. Freedom of religion and speech have been trampled by woke authoritarianism. This must be reversed. Affordable electricity, home ownership, safe sport and spaces for women and girls must be restored. The major parties have abandoned family, freedom and economic reality. The New South Wales electoral laws do not allow the Rebirth Family First Party to be registered in time for the March 25 election. But you can put your family first by voting for the independent Lyle Shelton Group on the Legislative Council ballot paper. 
I look forward to your support as together we fight for a better future for our families. If you'd like to get involved with my campaign, please go to familyfirstparty.org.au forward slash sign up and I'll be in touch. That's familyfirstparty.org.au forward slash sign up. At Family First, we want to make sure your values are on the ballot paper at every election from now on. That's why, with your help, we're building this movement. Our aim is to populate Australia's state and federal parliaments with principled people who won't back down. The upcoming New South Wales election is such an opportunity. We'll need 125,000 votes plus a good preference flow. I hope you'll join me. Still in national security and defence, but closer to home, retired Major General, now Senator Jim Mullen, also my dad, sat down with me yesterday to give us an update on how he is. Critical issues out of Senate estimates and Remembrance Day. Well, Dad, great to see you and great to have you back on the show. First question I need to ask is, how are you? Uh, I'm not too bad today. I'm in the middle of chemo at the moment and uh, I've got 10 sessions of chemo at three-week intervals and I'm on the fourth session. And chemo's interesting because it gives you a, 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 the first week and a bit you get side effects and then for the last week and a bit you, uh, you feel quite human. So I had it yesterday and I still feel quite human today. But I thought, I thought, and I haven't been on the media, I've been staying very low. My priority at the moment is to try and get better, is to beat the cancer. Uh, so, uh, but I thought, given the fact that we've just had a week of estimates, mm. uh, I thought it might be worth chatting about a few issues. Senate estimates, first of all, what is it for people who might not really understand? Well, estimates is a period of time after a budget which is put aside so that the opposition has more time to directly question officials and, and uh, politicians. The problem is that so much in defence is classified mm. that if an official or a minister finds that they're talking about a classified issue that they know is classified, then all they, can, all they have to say to not answer it is, I'm, I'm sorry, that's classified, we can't well, discuss it. Wouldn't almost everything under the National Security Defence umbrella be classified to a degree? Almost everything except what comes out as in the budget papers. And not much comes out in the budget papers, I can assure you. And the first point I brought up really was what I think is the single most, most important point, which I knew couldn't be answered, but which should be answered somewhere in the parliamentary process. And that is, what war are you preparing for? You wrote a book, uh, Danger on Our Doorstep, which is essentially about the threat of China and what would happen here domestically if war was to break out in our region. What has this year taught us about the likelihood of that happening and, and particularly President Xi's comments when he was re-elected? Mm. Well, the, the way that I look at it is that, is that uh, uh, we are unlikely in the first instance to be invaded by China. So ideas of here comes, here comes 4,000 Chinese ships packed full of soldiers to invade our continent and take us over. The war that, that, that scares me the most, uh, uh, because we are small players, the war that scares me the most is a war between China and the United States mm. with us as collateral damage. And that's what we should do. That's what we should prepare for and that's how we should see our future. Now, uh, I, I don't believe that... The, the Chinese are going to, in the first instance, again, attack Taiwan. 
1944 style D-Day invasion, I think would cost far, far too much. And the Chinese themselves, in their studies of it, have said exactly that. Uh, but uh, a, a, a reliance on the Americans, an over-reliance on the Americans, is no good for us either. We have got to stand on our own two feet. And, 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 and any, any of your, 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 your viewers, Aaron, who would like to see the way I believe that a regional war between China and the United States with us as collateral damage will develop, should, should read that book that I wrote about, uh, that, that you spoke about, Danger on Our Doorstep. They say a prophet has no honour in his hometown. This can ring even truer in the major political parties. It was certainly the case for Senator Jim Molan, where the Liberals did what they could to hold him back. But such was the greatness of the man who sadly passed away from cancer this week. Now everyone, friend and foe, is lining up to eulogise him. Despite being a retired Major General in the Australian Army and having commanded uh, coalition forces, including Americans in Iraq, Molan was never made Defence Minister. And he struggled to hold his Senate spot. Greg Sheridan wrote in The Australian, quote, Jim was constantly denied a winnable seat in the Senate and ended up in Parliament through casual vacancies, happenstance and resignations. When offered a giant, the Liberal Party chose pygmies every time, end quote. Now, despite having masterminded a humane way of abolishing the evil people smuggling trade to Australia, saving countless lives, a spot could not be found for Molan on the Morrison front bench. Australia's radical left, which included some in the Liberal Party, hated Operation Sovereign Borders. But they are now silent because the drownings have stopped. The policy meant illegal immigrants who had destroyed their identity documents and refused generous offers to go home or to a safe country had to be detained longer than any of us would have liked. But it also meant Australia could maintain an orderly migration program, including provision for refugees who had no hope of paying US $10,000 to a criminal gang for passage on a leaky boat. The left will never give Moland credit for this. Labor and the Greens honour Moland with the caveat, even though we didn't always agree. But they can't give a rational reason for disagreeing with the logic of his policy ideas. Americans look with envy at Australia's secure borders as 5 million illegal immigrants and counting have crossed the now non-existent southern border since Joe Biden entered the White House. To the end, Molan was a voice crying in the wilderness, warning that war with China was a real possibility. Last year, while battling the prostate cancer that would kill him, he wrote a book, Danger on Our Doorstep, arguing the best way to deter Chinese Communist Party aggression was through our own military strength. She'll be right was not going to cut it anymore as a weak America meant Australia urgently needed to upgrade its defence capability. Quote, the ADF had never been better for the wars it has fought over the past 80 years, Molan said, but not for the strategic, uh, the current strategic environment. He said this in an interview with his daughter, Aaron late last year, he went on to say, our defence force is a one-shot force likely to last only a few days in a serious fight. It lacks lethality, sustainability and mass. Now, Greg Sheridan is scathing at the Liberals' failure to listen to Molan. Quote, he made no significant progress in getting his government to take the remedial action on defence that he thought was necessary. He was intensely frustrated by this. How could a decade of coalition government 
result in spectacularly ineffective defence ministers such as David Johnson, Maurice Payne and Linda Reynolds, but leave Molan on the backbench, Sheridan asks. That was a sign ultimately that the coalition government were not serious about defence, Sheridan wrote. Now, like a good soldier, you never heard Molan criticise the Liberals. Let's hope both sides of politics take notice of his warnings from beyond the grave. May he rest in peace. I mean, a lot of people don't like my views. I'm what's called a social conservative. I'm a believing Christian. And I have stated my views quite clearly on many cases. Now, a second great Australian passed away this month. In his last television interview, Cardinal George Pell was asked why he was targeted and jailed for child sex abuse before being exonerated by the High Court. Here's what he told Sky News host Andrew Bolt. Uh, certainly people do not like Christians who, are, uh, who teach Christianity, especially on life and uh, family and issues like that. They get uh, uh, very, very, very cross. So... Uh, uh, to, whether, to the extent that it's, uh, that's, that's for other people to judge. In Victoria, you had a police force that charged you 26 times with charges so stupid, not one has survived the process. Yes. Including charges where they did not interview a single witness. Yes. You have a, a Supreme Court, a Court of Appeal, that's just been criticised for the High Court for not taking matters properly into consideration in your defence. And you've got a Premier of that state, Dan Andrews, that savaged Tony Abbott, the former Prime Minister, for daring to come speak to you in jail as a friend of yours. Are you worried about Victoria, Dan Andrews, being the Premier of a state that seems so determined, its institutions at least, from one interpretation, I don't know if it's true, but seems so determined to get you? I'm no longer in Victoria. Uh, I think... Uh, You're free to speak. I am, I am free to speak. Uh, it's difficult to understand motives, but all the factual evidence you, that you have uh, uh, presented is actually true. And I think each can uh, draw his own uh, conclusions. Uh, I, the culture wars are real. There is a systematic uh, attempt to remove the Judeo-Christian legal foundations, uh, um, well, the examples of a marriage, life, gender, um, sex, uh, and those who oppose that, unfortunately, there's, a, there's less rational discussion and there's more playing the man, more abuse and intimidation, and that's not good for a democracy. So you think you're a victim of the culture war here? I think that contributed. There's one more institution, taxpayer-funded, national institution. Now, Cardinal Pell passed away last week. He suffered a cardiac arrest following complications from hip replacement surgery in Rome. He was 81. To the end, Pell faithfully fought the culture wars which so many deny exist. He was a true believer in Christ, the Catholic Church and in truth. Despite spending 404 days in Victorian jails for crimes he did not commit, he acquitted himself with stoic grace and dignity. I had the privilege of hearing him speak at a fundraising dinner for Campion College in Sydney last August, where he shared the platform with former Prime Minister John Howard. Opposition leader Peter Dutton was also seated just in front of the podium as Pell gave a sobering but optimistic talk on the state of modern Australia. He spared neither side of politics for capitulating to woke ideology. 
Quote, it was under a liberal federal government, the Morrison government, that official forms replaced the term mother and father with birth person, Pell told the dinner. I have been surprised by the exuberance of so many woke activists in the coalition parties, Pell said. I did not anticipate such a rapid collapse. Now, despite the passing of six months, there is little to indicate that Dutton was paying attention that night. The Cardinal also didn't spare Labor, calling it out for making the position of social conservatives untenable. I had spoken with, this, with a succession of Labor leaders about the importance of maintaining a situation where pro-life and pro-family candidates could still be endorsed, Pell told the dinner. He urged all good Christians, Catholic and non-Catholic alike, to use their votes. The anti-Christian forces on both sides of politics will only be tamed down when they are shown Christians have votes which they will sometimes use, he said. He said the two major parties don't differ much, especially on economic issues. Now, I'm going to read you a long quote that the Cardinal gave that night. So please bear with me. Our society is already suffering from a slowly spreading domestic chaos. Damaged families, fragile children, alcohol, drugs, porn. Children need adults who will bring stability, set down boundaries so that love and respect can flourish and where the concepts of duty, honour and compassion are exemplified. Youngsters need to be shown there are moral truths of right and wrong which we do not invent, just as there are truths of maths, physics, ecology and public health. Our society needs to remember that we believe in free speech because we believe in truth, that things can be known as they are, however imperfectly. If there is no truth, there is no endpoint in debate or discussion. The more powerful tribe simply decides and imposes its solution by force. The culture wars continue, and while our losses are considerable, the field has not been lost. The main victims of the chaos will be increasingly open to our message, Cardinal Pell said. Well, Vale, Cardinal Pell, you will certainly be missed by those of us in the trenches of the culture wars. Sydney hosts the global LGBTIQA plus World Pride Festival next month. Interspersed amongst promotions for animal-themed fetish parties, pictures of naked men in sexual positions, and a general kaleidoscope of raunch, several events on the official website target children. New South Wales taxpayers are paying in part for this induction of preschoolers into sexualised and gender-fluid queer culture to the tune of $6.2 million, promoting its fetish expo as the ultimate LGBTIQA plus sexuality show, everyone welcome, the World Pride website asks, why not grab a whip while watching the puppy and pony parade? Why the Perrottet government is helping fund a festival with a sex show that includes animals is a more appropriate question. The Liberal Party gives lip service to family values, but no one believes them. The Perrottet government is helping put sexualized and gender fluid drag queens in front of children as young as three as part of World Pride events. Now, the coalition also allows the teachers union to run a World Pride amplified competition in schools. Were parents ever asked about this? Liberal and National Party ministers in the Perrottet government boast about providing at least $4.5 million to World Pride. $3.5 million is for funding Pride Villages in Sydney's Oxford Street, while another $1 million is to stage any art form, according to Arts Minister and Nationals MP Ben Franklin. 
Can the minister rule out taxpayer funds to sexuality shows that include whips, ponies and puppies? If only journalists would do their job. The New South Wales government is proud to support this and celebrate World Pride Festival in Sydney, the most internationally celebrated LGBTIQA plus festival in the world, which will strengthen Sydney's reputation as a global inclusive city, Ben Franklin said. Never mind the weakening of family values and the truth about gender. Now, not to be outdone, the Sydney City Council, long run by woke activists, is kicking in a cool $1.7 million of ratepayers' money. No surprises there. Woke corporates who pay most of the rates in the CBD have long been distracted from their primary task of maximising shareholder value. Something for mum and dad investors to raise at the next AGM, perhaps. As usual with LGBTIQA plus drag queen story time, events for children, one doesn't have to do too much due diligence on their social media to discover they are role models which most parents would not choose for their children. Joyce Mange, who features at two events, including one advertised for three-year-olds, has a social media presence which mainstream parents would want to keep away from little eyes. It's a good thing most kids don't have access to internet-enabled devices. LGBTIQA plus gender fluid ideology, which promotes puberty blockers, hormones and surgery, has caused so much harm to gender confused children in the UK that the Tavistock Child Gender Clinic was closed last year. Yet a Liberal National Party government in New South Wales is happy to promote rainbow ideology to children, giving it special access to primary and high schools as part of World Pride Festival. This is on top of the Wear It Purple Days and Safe Schools activities laced throughout the curriculum. The Family First Party has been birthed because Liberal, National, Labor, the Teals and the Greens have long abandoned protecting children and promoting the virtues which make for flourishing families, a civil society and a strong nation. Having redefined marriage, it seems queer culture through taxpayer-funded festivals like World Pride is pushing new frontiers. But this is, of course, what homosexual activists and ABC personalities like Benjamin Law promised during the same-sex marriage campaign back in 2017. It's one thing for the activists to promote their harmful cause to children. It's another thing for the Liberals to fund it. Well, a by-election for the Victorian state seat of Narakan in Gippsland will be held on January 28. I caught up with Family First candidate Brendan Clark. Well, it's fantastic to have uh, Brendan Clark with me, who's running for Family First in the Narakan by-election uh, in Victoria. Uh, Brendan, uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, no worries. Happy to be here. Brendan, just tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Um, uh, your family background and your professional background. Okay, I'm uh, 61 years old, uh, married with nine children, and uh, my career has been spent predominantly uh, with Victoria Police, 34 years. Uh, we're living, currently living in uh, West Gippsland, uh, Warrigal, which is about an hour southeast of Melbourne. I finished my policing career in, in Warrigal and uh, Trafalgar, uh, that was in December 2021, uh, and I was dismissed for not being vaccinated. Mm. Uh, the uh, government mandates and the police uh, chief commissioner's instructions. Yes, I think there's still a long way to go in terms of how we analyse the public response to the whole COVID 
experience and uh, the impact that it's had on uh, people like yourself professionally. How, how have you coped since uh, being dismissed? Okay, yeah, so uh, I was fortunate in that we own our own home and uh, my wife works. She's a teacher and so she was vaccinated and um, so financially we didn't struggle as much as, as many other people did. And so for me, I, um, I sort of, I did a bit of uh, uh, NDIS disability support work uh, for a couple of months in December and January of 20, January 2022. And I've sort of been in semi-retirement, but um, in September I commenced a Cert 3 in civil construction, which has been promoted by the federal government, uh, amongst many other uh, ter uh, TAFE courses. So I, I've got one more day to complete that, and then I'll be uh, looking for work in that area. Yeah, good on you. Uh, Brendan, I just need to circle back. Um, earlier you said you had nine children. I, I can just hear our audience um, asking for a bit of an explanation. That's a, uh, that's a commendable effort. It's wonderful. Um, that, that's a large family by any standards. It's a large family. Um, uh, Naomi and I, we're both on our second marriage. We've been married for five years and she has four children to a previous marriage. I have five. And so it's a blended family, and each of the it's sort of each of the children is sort of staggered the ages. So, and and they all get on on well. So it, it's worked out pretty well. We've had a few, you know, moments as you do, but everyone's everyone's you know generally pretty good, and has sort of different sort of directions and interests and pathways they're sort of pursuing. Fantastic. Well, Brendan, you and I met uh, during the campaign uh, for the general election in Victoria in late November. You were kind enough to be a volunteer supporting uh, our efforts in, in what was a, a terrific campaign run by uh, 400 volunteers. And of course, uh, Lee Jones and Alistair Cameron played a key role down there, which uh, we're very grateful for. But um, there, there's a by-election in the seat of Narakan uh, after to the tragic death just before the election of, of one of the candidates. Um, mm. You've put your hand up. You've gone from a, a volunteer in helping um, hand out how to vote cards and work on, on uh, polling booths and distributing election material to actually being a candidate yourself. Uh, what caused you to want to take that step? Okay. Uh, I first met Alistair um, at the March for the Babies in October and... Uh, and that's where my interest specifically in Family First uh, began. And, um, and uh, he, he approached me and uh, asked me to get involved. So, yeah, I was happy to get on board and possibly by my um, family daughter. Really. Yep. So that, that's interesting in itself, Brandon. You were at the uh, March for the Babies. Um, for the viewers who don't know, it's, it's probably Australia's biggest pro-life march held every year in Melbourne. You live out in, in Gippsland, so a bit of a hike to get in there. So, you know, you're showing a real commitment to the pro-life cause uh, just by by taking the effort to get in there and to show uh, your concern about government legislation, which allows abortion to birth. Yeah, yeah. I, I have my interest in politics. I'll get back to your question about um, uh, candidacy for, for Narakan, but 
my interest in politics has particularly increased over the last five to seven years, but especially the last three years. So began with um, uh, being disgruntled with specific legislation at, at state and federal level. So I began writing and emailing politicians directly. And then with the last few years and the e-petitions and I guess a lot of interest generated um, uh, over the last few years, there seems to be a lot more opportunity to have some sort of contact with politicians. So, and I've always tried to be wise in how I voted. Uh, and, I've, and so I've always tried to select who I thought was held a, a, a more moral and ethical and fair um, approach to government. And, and so I've sort of directed my vote either to the person or party. Uh, in respect to uh, this current election, I actually ran as a candidate for the Morwell district um, in, the, in the November election. And overall, the whole, whole uh, results I considered uh, fantastic, even though we didn't get the, uh, the person in, into uh, the upper house that, that we were trying to. But, but in every other way, I think we did, and especially the leadership did a great job. Um, Hannah Darts was running for Narican and due to sort of significant um, uh, workload she's got, um, I offered to uh, to fill this position at Narican, which I, I really welcome because I live in Narican, mm -hmm. um, in Bull Shire. So um, I, I think it's um, yeah, it's a great opportunity for me. Uh, fantastic. Um, yeah, my apologies. I forgot that you were also a candidate, uh, more than just a, a volunteer handing out the how to vote cards. Uh, so you're you're lining up twice, um, once for Morwall, now for Narican, where you reside. And um, you know, from from Family First point of view, we're extremely grateful that yourself and you know, well over a hundred people right across the state ran as candidates to try and help lift the profile of the party and help get our upper house candidates elected and of course we're all very disappointed we came very close to getting people elected but achieved a very credible vote uh 3.1 percent statewide um certainly higher in some uh districts so um it, it's a terrific effort and um what you're doing uh with the narrican by-election is continuing to help um fly the flag for family first and um yeah uh, can, can i just ask brendan you know what what sort of um what what sort of response are you getting uh as a result of your, your candidacy in this by-election? Yeah, okay. Well, in the, uh, in the um, election we had in November, it was, um, I got a great response. Um, a lot of people just commented that they're really glad to see Family First back up and running. And, um, and certainly a percentage of people directed their votes towards us. And the same response, was uh, with the, with the uh, Narican electorate, which I helped with as well in that election. Um, everyone's, you know, there's a lot of support from people who, who just are happy to support us and, to, and glad to see us back up and running yeah. and want to continue. Yeah. yeah. You, you mentioned earlier, and we were talking about the pro-life issue and the March for the Babies, but you said you've been uh, an activist in terms of emailing politicians and communicating with them and making them aware of your concerns about various public policy issues. Apart from the pro-life issue, what, what other issues concern you as, as a father, um, as, as a husband, as, as someone who's a committed family man? 
Yeah, uh, well, there's there's a few, but I guess in terms possibly in terms of priority, that euthanasia I was I was really dead set against, and it upset me that it passed in Victorian legislation. I read a book by Neil Gorsuch, who's now uh, on the Supreme Court of the United, United States. He wrote a book on uh, uh, euthanasia and end of life. And, um, and I, w I wanted to educate myself on it. And, uh, and, I, and, I've, and I've read various stuff over the years, but it disturbed me that we were aborting so many babies in Victoria and Australia, 100,000 every year. And now we're going to the other end of life. So we kill babies in the womb. Now we're doing it at the end of life. And that, that really upsets me. And it just to me, that reflects that the government does, does not care. They don't care about life. And they don't really care about people. They talk about it. But the fact is the legislation speaks for itself. Mm. It's bad legislation that needs to be repealed. Um, other legislation which really concerns me is the um, uh, suppression bill for transition. Um, trying to think of the exact uh, name of the legislation. Yeah, change, change, change and suppression. Yeah, like to me that is just so uh, flawed uh, and the and the the thinking and the, the science and the philosophy behind it um, is appalling and and it's really, I consider it to be a serious form of child abuse. Yeah. I mean, they, we've seen that they've addressed it to some degree in England, but it's like it never occurred that the, the government in Victoria and probably elsewhere in Australia has almost turned a blind eye to it and, and it's open slather. And, uh, you know, you only have to look at the statistics and, and walk around the streets and say, well, what is going on in this country? Yeah. Other legislation that concerns me particularly, and I've read a, a reasonable amount about it, is the sexualisation of children in schools. Mm -hmm. um, not, so much, not, not, not so much in the Christian schools, but in the state schools in Victoria. And, um, and that's also bad legislation that should be repealed. And that's why... You know, people like us and other parties should be, and the smaller parties can have an influence, uh, should should act to to try and change this. And it's for the for the for the children who we're really acting for, because they're the ones who are going to be affected by it. Yeah. Why do you think um, politicians, particularly those uh, on the conservative side of politics, the Liberal Party, have always said they're a party for the family, and yet. It's a party that is prepared to go along with that change and suppression bill that you mentioned, which puts parents in jail who try and have a conversation with their child about transitioning their gender and going on harmful puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones or having surgery that's irreversible as a minor. Why, why do you think the conservative side of politics has abandoned the family, abandoned biology? How have we got to this moment in your state of Victoria? I guess there's a percentage of politicians and people, say, within the party who 
agree with it. So they don't have any moral conviction that would oppose that type of thinking and behavior. And they, the other reason I would think is they, they um, think that it's going to win the votes and get them in. We've seen that that certainly doesn't work. Mm -hmm. the, the Liberal parties, the Liberal Party in Victoria has failed dismally and failed to present anything other than a, a small Labor Party, which we've already suffered through for eight years. Well, um, now you, you've got involved with Family First as a result of meeting Alistair Cameron at the March for the Babies back in uh, October in Melbourne. So uh, sort of a, a chance encounter has got you on a trajectory where you, you've put your hand up twice now as a candidate, once at the general election and now at this Narakan by-election. What sort of a difference do you think you can make in, in being involved in a, in a minor party like ours? Um. Well, the, I guess the first objective is to try and get someone into a seat either in the lower house or in the upper house. And um, as my understanding is that our best chance is initially in the upper house. So if we can get someone there, then we can have a voice that's going to have an impact, not only to speak and bring some sort of um, alternative perspective on legislation, but also our votes are going to count. So the government needs to pay attention to what we're saying. And we represent a body of people by having someone in parliament. So, you know, um, you know if, if the government has complete control of both houses, then they can shun the smaller independents or smaller parties, but um, they do it at their own risk and you know, and then if it becomes close, then we can have a, a significant impact on what yeah. brought passing parliament or amendments that might be able to be brought in. Yeah. Well, well, Brendan, um, I, I think you've said all that really well. And from my point of view, as someone who is involved uh, in Family First at a leadership level, um, I'm certainly very grateful for what you're doing. Uh, I think we've all seen what happens to people who put their head above the parapet, uh, what happened to Andrew Thorburn in Victoria, the CEO of Essendon for 24 hours before he was sacked because of the sort of views that you and I have talked about tonight and the fact that you're willing to put your hand up in this current um, cultural and political environment, I think shows enormous courage. And uh, I'm certainly grateful. And I know that uh, thousands of people out there who uh, believe what you and I believe are grateful that people like yourself are willing to put your name on a ballot paper and stand at elections and uh, fight for these values. So so good on you, Brandon, and, and thanks very much for talking to us today. Yeah, no worries. I, I, can I just add that um, I, I was thinking about it and it doesn't take a lot to, to get involved with Family First or it could be one of the other parties, but with Family First, some people get um, think that it's, it's just never been a part of their life and so it's, they're not going to sort of take it on board because it's an unknown but for me, it's been an unknown, but it's been a great, enjoyable learning experience. It does take involved time leading up to an election because you're manning the pre-polling booths on election day. But it's not uh, it's not an intimidating thing. It's something that's really worth worthwhile, I believe, to to get involved and support it. And if the only way you can support it 
is by casting a vote for family. That's that's a good uh, way to do it. Fantastic, Brendan. Uh, thank you so much. That's really well said. And uh, we wish you all the best on the 28th of January at the Narakan by-election. Thanks so much. No worries. Thanks. Bye. Now, Family First will fight for biological truth to remain on birth certificates. LGBTIQ plus political activists are pushing for New South Wales to follow Queensland, the latest state, to capitulate to woke rainbow ideology. Allowing men and boys to self-identify as women or girls puts women and girls at risk and it destroys their sporting opportunities. It brings confusion to the way males and females interact in society. The Queensland legislation allows children to transition even when their parents disagree. Pushing this idea in culture puts young people at risk of harmful and irreversible medical interventions many will later come to regret. Since LGBTIQA plus gender fluid ideology has been aggressively promoted in schools and social media, the number of children presenting at child gender clinics has skyrocketed from just 211 in 2014 to 2067 in 2021. At least uh, five girls have been granted double mastectomies since 2017. Child gender clinic uh, Dr. Michelle Telfer told a Royal Commission in 2019 she wants taxpayer funding so more double mastectomies can be performed on girls under 18. Just this week, we have seen the nonsense of a biological male purchasing the Miss Universe contest. The Miss Universe organisation from now on is going to be ran by women, owned by a trans woman. For all women. For all women really around the world to celebrate the power of feminism. This is just nuts. Allowing self-identification on birth certificates is a bad deal for women and girls. Allowing woke parents to leave their baby's gender blank on his or her birth certificate is a recipe for confusion in that child's life. Gender dysphoria is a real condition that affects a small but growing number of mainly young girls, a disproportionate number of whom are on the autism spectrum. Compassion for people suffering a sense that their biology does not line up with who they are does not mean society should be forced to overhaul the concept of gender. Well, that's it for the first episode of the Macquarie Street Political Podcast for 2023. Don't forget there's more great content at familyfirstparty.org.au. Sign up there and join the political party that puts your family's values first. Until next week, goodbye.